can tell you like it. I love it. It's perfect. About the deposit? I'll agree to waive all the deposit stuff. You just give me the first month's down, we'll call it a day, all right? It's hard coming up with all that money, isn't it? Uh, it's gonna work out. We went off the one with $84 in her bank account, and I checked her right on Monday. You know what you should do. Hi. I'm calling in regards to the babysitter flyer posted outside my dorm. The nice big eclipse is now well underway. I'm feeling a little weird just dropping you out here in the middle of wherever we are. I've not been completely honest. We're from the desert, you know. You see, we we actually don't have a child. They lied to you. I know. Okay, I know you're right. But it's four hundred dollars. This equals first month's rent and then some, and all I have to do is sit inside and watch TV. This is huge. This one night changes everything for me. Hello, and thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In, your podcast on the IMDb 250, or we were once. Right now, we're about horror movies, because it is that time of year, so we're bringing all of our best friends on to talk about their favorite horror movies. I'm your host, Tyler Hannon. I almost forgot to say that, because, you know, hosting. I usually have someone else here to help me with that, Kayla, but she's not here today. She's making cupcakes. With me instead, I have Sean Loffery. Hey, Tyler, what's up? I'm doing pretty well, you know. We got that all in on the first take, and I yeah, only messed it. up a little bit. That's all that matters, yeah. We'll just keep on going. <laughs> uh, but yeah, today today we're talking about not one, but two movies that fall into my fuck this house category. Because yeah. they're about big, spooky houses and the shenanigans going on within them. Uh, Ty West, 2009, House of the Devil, and the much harder to find, unless you're on YouTube... 1980s The Changeling by Peter Medak. Sean, you, well, how did this happen? No, I had a list. I had my Hooptober list on Letterboxd, and these right. were two of the ones that you picked out. Yeah, yeah, so I've, uh, I have experience with both of these, so I would put both of these kind of in the realm of uh, two of the scarier movies that have been made. I don't know if that says something about me and how I feel about big empty houses, or, or if, you know, or they really are genuinely that terrifying, but uh, I revisit these every year, usually around this time, and uh, House of the Devil especially. I've, I mean, I'll, I watch it probably three or four times a year. Just, I just love it, love the mood, love the way it's shot. Uh, we'll get into it more, of course, but um, yeah, so I had a history with these two, and I hadn't watched them in a while, so uh, yeah, you threw your list out, and I said, let's do these. They're kind of two house movies like we talked about, but um Definitely, they go in different directions, so I, I thought it would be cool to pair them in as much as there's a commonality, but uh, enough different to talk about, uh, you know, how they, uh, how things are, are uh, different between the two, so. Absolutely, and we'll get into House of the Devil first, not really because of any specific reason, just because, why not? I don't know. I love House of the Devil. I want to talk about that ASAP. Ty West, obviously, still doing good work out there. Um he appeared on IndieWire's uh, recent 15 best horror directors working right now or whatever list. Yeah, I would agree with that. Granted, Eli Roth is on that list, and I take some issue <laughs> with that. But 
It's fine. It's fine. Really? An IndieWire list had Eli Roth on there? <laughs> they seem a little bit snobbier than that, but maybe they've fallen off the, and they're snobbier. The others all make sense. Like Jeremy Sunier is on there and all that stuff. Like James mm-hmm. Wan is number one, too, which is fine. I like James Wan, but it's... It seems a little, maybe like it's an outdated list or something. No. Or they, like these people don't posted. pay attention to horror movies. <laughs> like Jeremy Sunier was 15th, and I think that is unacceptable, but that... Uh, yeah interesting huh, okay anyway, enough enough criticizing the critics i know like and also like is there anything more boring that that i love more though oh, than like nitpicking like, lists yeah it's just I, I, I try to not be that person but i just became it look at me i try not to be that per- person either but eli roth was on the list and i immediately just launched it to a rage read mode um but Ty West, uh, this is his first big-ish movie. You mentioned another one he has, The Roost or something? Yeah, The Roost. Have yeah. not seen uh, I've, I've seen that, and, and there was another one, too, about like a, a sniper in the woods or something like that. Or maybe that is... No, The Roost is about killer killer bats or something killer in a barn or something. I've seen both of them once, and it was both in college, so it's you know it's been probably six or seven years at this point. Um, and, and neither of them are anywhere near on this level, but of course both show flashes of uh of what was to come and and he reused some of the cast uh tom noonan the big tall scary guy that runs the house in house of the devil he's in the roost so um it definitely laid the foundation probably for house of the devil but uh, like i said i've only seen both of them once and i've seen this one a bunch so this is definitely uh where his career started to to kind of pick up and if anyone's seen a Ty West movie, it's probably House of the Devil. He's gone on to do The Innkeepers, uh, The Sacrament, and In a Valley of Violence. Besides House of the Devil being around the longest and the most critically acclaimed, and being on streaming services for the most collective time, I think. It's on Shudder right now. That's how I watched it. Another unpaid plug for Shudder. Uh, but... <laughs> Shudder's great. I have the Blu-ray, so that's how I watched it, but... Oh, I, I need to get a Blu-ray because both of these movies look so much better when they're on good quality on the big screen oh, yeah. and not on my laptop. <laughs> and there's two two uh, commentaries on in the House of the Devil Blu-ray, uh, so that's pretty fun too. I, commentaries. I definitely want that, and I and that is some knowledge you can bring that I can't. Like, you know, <laughs> some background. Most of my experience just comes from watching it. This is not a good place to start because she's probably like the fifth most important person in the movie. But I always forget what a scene stealer Greta Gerwig is in this movie. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So the House of the Devil is scary. It freaks me out. Uh, It's got all kinds of devilry and satanic cult stuff, which throws me off as... Or not throws me off, but really gets to me as someone who grew up religious. But (laughs) I get such a sense of joy from this. And I think that's partly due to the craft of it and the fact that it is such an homage to, like, 80s horror filmmaking. There's a sense of warmth that just grows in my heart as I watch it. But also Greta Gerwig comes in for some straight comedic fire throughout the movie. And I can't believe I just said that. That was terrible. (laughs) Yeah, but I know what you mean. Yeah, she has maybe, you know, three minutes of total screen time, but it's super memorable, um, you know, especially... Uh, her exit, uh, oh, unfortunately, um, and then when she's revisited, kind of in the climax with a hole, a hole through the back of her head. The one that really got um, me was the candy because the like the the freaky stuff starts there in the weird house, but we just spend some time yeah. with her as she's tasting the candy, right? <laughs> and just the little she's touch, so of... inquisitive and fun, and then <sighs> which yeah. you know I feel like I'm already doing a disservice to Jocelyn Donahue, who is the star of this movie, because she does not. 
Well, she doesn't have the career of Greta Wig now, obviously, and she maybe doesn't have the same magnetism, but she's so good in this, and I, I like her in everything I've seen, but so often the material either doesn't know how to use her that well. I don't know, maybe it's because I first saw her in The House of the Devil, too, but she is really good in this. You are so invested in in the movie. She is Samantha. Use the character name, I guess, but yeah. so, <laughs> Samantha and her friend are just so delightful and if you're a young close to college age kid very relatable because you have to scrap to get just a couple hundred dollars so you can live somewhere right <laughs> I that's that i was gonna say was it's, it's relatable because uh i mean that's i know there's a time difference between when i was in college and when she is but that's basically what my rent was was a couple hundred bucks and and if somebody was throwing down you know two months worth of rent in front of me it would be pretty difficult to pass up so um you know that kind of is in contrast with my uh, being freaked out by big scary houses but at the same time i mean 400 bucks is 400 bucks so uh yeah it's it's definitely relatable in that way and and you're like you said greta gerwig it gets the gets to be funny and, and and kind of show herself off a little bit but uh jocelyn donahue has to stay stay grounded and, and keep the story moving um, she has to react to greta gerwig she has to be seen partners with her and Right, right. Going. and it seems like that's a good person to be seen partners with. <laughs> yeah, no, they they actually work really well because one is very talkative and effusive and is usually doing something, and Jocelyn Donahue reacts very well. Right, it's a hard thing to quantify, at least for me. <laughs> no, I know what you mean, and I agree. Yeah, she she, but she's great, and and all the way through, you know what what the climax demands of her. Um, I think she does a great job. So, and just the the way she moves throughout the house is really interesting. And um, the camera work is something that I've always really loved and appreciated. Um, in, in a lot of his movies, he's doing cool tracking shots or dolly stuff or, or zooms. But in this, it really is like super 80s -y. Um, so he, he, it seems pretty clear that he's a fan of 80s horror movies. I think he might have oh, yeah. seen I mean, it he grew up time. with it. So. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And even down to it being shot on Super 16. So it, it just, it, I think that lends to the warmth that you were talking about is it just, it looks like something that wasn't made when it was made, like front to back. It's, if somebody didn't tell you it was from 2009, you wouldn't know that type of thing. And, and you would say, wow, this looks great. I can't believe how well they were able to transfer this print or whatever. It, <laughs> right. it looks so good. There's no holes in it. And, and the score is at a normal volume. Oh, the score! I want to get into the score, but yeah, and <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. One of the biggest things, and you mentioned this in your notes, and it's the way he uses camera zooms. I just really love. There are certain moments um, when the wife first comes out. You haven't seen her at all. She just comes out of this room, preening herself in the mirror, and we're looking from Samantha's perspective, and it's just slowly zooming in. It's just really creepy. It's just this woman doing this normal stuff, but she came out of a place she wasn't supposed to come from. We haven't seen her before. She's just like this unknown figure in an already uh, suspicious situation. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I mean that 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 was the I don't know that was a big one, the biggest one that stuck with me. Something about all of those things coming together with the camera zoom really worked for me. But I'm I'm also a sucker for framing. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean what, a note I had was. Uh, 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 it was probably two thirds of the way in, and she's upstairs, and the the house is lit from the inside, and it, it's just and the camera's just pulling back, and it, she's like perfectly framed in the window, and there's the perfect amount of windows in the frame. And it's just like 
all these rule of threes that are like make your brain just go nuts with how good it looks. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of that in here. So one thing that people come down a lot and that gets to me sometimes is when horror is too much imitation and too much uh, homage where it is clearly influenced by things of the past to the point where you don't know how much of the current creator is actually in it and how, how much credit to actually give them. And it feels almost like lifting directly. Like there's a, a, a problem a lot of people had with Stranger Things, for example. And right. I think part of the reason that House of the Devil works so, so well for me when it is clearly this, it, it, it is basically trying to be an 80s movie in every sense of the phrase, like from what it's shot on to the, to the subject matter. Um, but I think it's just done so well and the people making it are so effective and so good at what they're doing from, from Jeff Grace on the score to Ty West writing and directing to the cast that it surpasses that sense that this is just imitation to, I don't know, I guess, when it comes to the difference between imitation and homage, uh, this is this definitely feels like homage that is also satisfying in its own being and is not entirely reliant on the uh, the creations of the past to give it value. Right. No. And and yeah, I I completely agree. So uh, when I watch it, I it it evokes movies of that era, but it's still unlike anything that I've really seen from then. Like obviously, I do kind of like these haunted house movies and I really love satanic shit. And, um, it, the, the combination of these two is, uh, of course it's not new. I'm sure there's, there's dozens along these lines, but, um, and, and there are a few different, what I can see that seem to be pretty specific homages, but not even necessarily to, to house movies or to satanic movies, but just maybe horror in general. Like, um, I, I had a note that, when um, when Samantha is tied down first uh, in the uh, pentagram, there, there's a shadow on the wall of the of the the demon masked or you know disfigured whatever creature, and it looks exactly like Nosferatu from you know the 20s or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the silhouette that, that I think that was maybe a promotional shot or, or maybe just um, maybe I just think it's I always thought it looked rad. It was her. It was her her shadow holding the yes, knife. That's so good. Like, I feel like that's like, it's, it's, it's amazing. And, and so there, there are things like that, that you can say, like, I could have definitely seen that in a movie of that time, but it still, it doesn't feel like anybody had done it before. So, um, yeah, that's what I, I can appreciate about it is it's, it's, it, it, it captures everything, but because of the extra steps they took from the, the credits, which uh, it's one of my favorite title cards ever. Um, when it freeze frames on, on her uh, walking away from school and, and the house of the devil and the yellow font. Mm-hmm. And it's the whole thing's just, it's great. It, it just oozes of style, um, but not pretension. It's just these guys were, you know, these people wanted to make uh, a movie that they grew up watching and, and they went through painstaking ways to do it and they killed it. You know, one, one of my favorite things, <laughs> one of my favorite things I say 12 different times throughout this Uh <laughs> <laughs> One of the words I use way too often in describing movies is, oh, it crescendos into this nice like climax or whatever. This is the ultimate. Like, I wish I would use that word it's less. It's never more apt right here. Yeah. <laughs> like, I wish I used that word less so it has more beating when I apply it to this because this is just like a perfect incline 
of tension and suspense as she's making these little discoveries as more and more messed up, small messed up things start to accumulate. It just starts, it just builds and builds and builds until it uh, ends with a bang. Ha. Right. And, 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 and what I like about it is, and why I think it's, it's almost like it's Hitchcockian in ways almost where like it, it's building, it's building. And then it's, it's probably not even at a point where, where it's going to start like anything's going to start going crazy but you can tell that there's going to be an act turn and that act turn is with aj bowen's character being creepy with greta gerwig so it like it's slowly building if you've met this old creepy guy you've seen the house a little bit but you you don't know where it's going to go and so then her death kind of relieves a little bit of that tension so you're like okay something happened like all right now what's what's around the corner? So then, it, from from right from after that, it, it you just have to buckle down for the next like half an hour straight while you're just while it builds and builds and builds. So it's I like how there's kind of like a little relief valve partway through that makes you realize that oh yeah you're watching something fucked up, and then it from there it, it ratchets all the way right back up until like you said the kind of ends with a bang. There's just enough. Between that and then the reveal of the uh, fam- the murdered family in the pentagram, which right. we see before she sees, just these small little things throughout, and some of which are clues, some of which are these release valves that really help to build the tension, both for her because, you know, she's, well, she's in this house and kind of bored, but things are getting weirder and weirder, but also for the audience because and she can't stop, she can't stop exploring like (laughs) if that were me i would have sat in that chair and not moved just not moved at all like maybe things around me would have happened the way they happened anyway like one of these like parallel scenarios but the ending is the same type of thing but i i would have taken my chances of just never moving from in front of the tv i mean they were playing night of the living dead right Mm. so that's at least 90 minutes right there (laughs) that you can be glued to the tv like why she can't she cannot stop herself from trying to figure out so you know i guess that's maybe the difference between me and her i'm no hero (laughs) (laughs) she just can't help herself she's just so curious she just has like she has to go in every room and see what's happening she fits so much into this night uh like into just i don't know two hours she's playing pool she walks a bit of night of the living dead she tries on glasses and different things in their office man she eats pizza yeah eats pizza listens to music you know, she had a very She's eventful night, so <laughs> she did. She didn't deserve what she what she got either. It's and so Tom Noonan is is creepy, anyways, because especially when they first come to the door and you don't even see him because <laughs> yeah. he's so tall. Yeah. He's so tall yeah. that he just th- th- is this unseen voice looming over these now two tiny women on his doorstep. But uh, I also just watched fan- a couple Phantasms for the first time recently. Oh, yeah. And so the tall man in those. Those are insane. Oh, I, I <laughs> yeah. <them. laughs> I do too. They're nuts, but I, I love them but too. now I have even more ideas of like this old, this tall, old, white-haired man just haunting my dreams. And I've been watching and re-watching and watching and re-watching all Twin Peaks, the original mm-hmm. stuff, and the return, and... There's a tall man in that too, so that I I got those vibes, of course, as well. Something about something about tall people. Like I guess we're like you're you especially are also tall. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm, I'm I don't know how tall I am compared to Tom Noonan. <laughs> I, I have no idea how tall he is. I'm six seven, so uh, you know maybe in fifty years when I start to gray and maybe start to get some male pattern baldness, I can transition my career into to 
like creepy estate owner. I was just gonna say you could be in the re- you could star the reboot. <laughs> well, star the reboots of like Phantasm, House of the Devil. You know they're gonna come. Uh, I'm down. We'll be remaking those one day. Hell yeah, 2049. <laughs> no pun intended, but Blade Runner. That's a good movie. <laughs> I wait, new Blade Runner, old Blade Runner, both. Okay, I only just saw for the first time the final cut of the original, uh-huh. and I'm seeing the new one. I somehow went from op- going to see it opening night to having not seen it ten days later or however many. I, I had it. I bought a ticket to opening night. Didn't go, but then I did just see it on Tuesday. This past Tuesday, it was awesome. I really. I think I. I'm not. I'm still not positive yet. Need to watch it again, but I think I loved it. I I really like Villeneuve. He takes oh, off yeah. a lot of the boxes I love. Me too. And I think Arrival was his his best movie yet. So uh, if, if he continues on upward trajectory, uh, you know. I, I think I like the rival more than I liked Blade Runner, but they're two of his best for sure. I mean, there's a bit of a tangent, but it's like right up my alley. So yeah, great. I was waiting for Villeneuve to like make a perfect movie, and I think Arrival comes pretty damn close. And was like, yeah. I was like, he has a masterpiece, and and I thought Arrival was it. How is the score of Blade Runner? Just like one last tangent, because Johansson is not on it. Right, he he kind of got ousted, right? Yeah, apparently. And then when I when I read it was gonna, or I don't know if I read this before or after, but. Is Hans Zimmer did at least did part of it, and it, it didn't feel like that, which in my opinion is a good thing because uh, he, he's a little too much for me sometimes. Um, it's really sparse and really good and, and unobtrusive, but memorable. So yeah, it was great. We're probably just used to people hiring Hans Zimmer to do the Hans Zimmer thing, and how much yeah. of that is Hans Zimmer's fault, and how much of that is just, I mean, he has a brand. And Either way, I hate it. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know whose idea it is, but I'm not a fan. And actually, you know, we could turn this tangent into a transition because I don't think I noticed as much the music in the House of the Devil before this viewing. I haven't, I don't watch it nearly as much as I think in my mind that I think I do, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, I feel like I watch it twice a year, but every time I watch it, I'm like, oh my God, it's been so long. I forgot about all these parts. But there's only a little bit of score, but I like it so, so much. It's just the perfect amount especially for a Thai West movie what's up oh hey pancake thank you I've been brought a pancake what a joy <laughs> all right <laughs> uh, we're going like they're going to a Halloween party later so right oh right right I had some talk about before we played or before we got on the phone so excellent I'm gonna have one button yeah, the Jeff Grace does the score and I looked him up and then he does the score for a ton of genre stuff that I really like and I don't know if I've noticed the score in those movies, but oftentimes that, that's a good thing. I don't know. I love scores, but I'm not always the best at noticing them the first time I watch something, if that makes sense. No, me too. And, and to me, I always think of that as a good thing. Like, I, I never want it to be in the way. Yeah. And so I, I think it's, it kind of seems kind of weird to say, but especially on first watch, I think if you don't notice it, but you feel like you liked it, I think that's like the, the best result. If that makes sense, absolutely. That come—that's a thing that comes up with me a lot. Score and sound in general. Oh yeah. Because if there's too much of it, or if there's a lot of it, that's usually a bad thing. I I really hate when horror movies telegraph a scare too much yeah. with oh, a big sound. It's Just one like that... a ton of like really high screechy uh, orchestral music right before a jump scare. It's like yeah. <laughs> We get it. <laughs> or, like they punctuate the jump scare with just like the biggest sound they can muster, <laughs> right? And right. Ob- like a little bit of that works. Obviously, there's some of that in this. Like when she finds the hair in the shower, 
that's one I noticed where it does, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like a lot... also that's just gross. Like even Ugh. without a score, that would be gross as hell. <laughs> Clean that up. What is wrong with you? <laughs> but oh uh, yeah, uh, I don't always notice it the first time, but it is a good thing because if I'm noticing it, unless it's like it follows or something like that, mm-hmm. where it really is weaves in really well, or like I guess anything Johansson does. <laughs> since we mentioned him yeah. uh usually it's because i'm annoyed by how much sound there is but again there's a reason that ty west got a reputation for how good he is at suspense and it's because right off the bat the first movie from him most people see is getting masterwork in it yep yeah i agreed and it's 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 his ability to put all those things together because like you said he wrote and directed and he edited as well so i mean he, he he's He's the master and commander of this whole thing, you know. It's and it's it feels like a, a the work of an auteur, and you know, I, I hope he continues to make movies forever because, like, I, I I really like this. I, I really like the Innkeepers. You know, a little bit more whimsical, but still a lot of that same tension. Um, just without the, in my opinion, the overwhelming dread. <laughs> um, uh, and, and then you know, the Sacrament I thought was interesting take but not exactly what i wanted from him and and really just kind of just not as original as i think he can be um Mm -hmm. but i I still enjoyed it it's still i think it's still well made with good performances especially when amy simetz lights herself on fire that's an insane scene that i love and then yeah in value violence is is in a really in a different direction but then now he's working with bigger actors which is cool so yeah, uh, I forget what he's working on next, but I, I'm sure it's going to be great. Ty West is one of those where if I had, you know, all kinds of money, he would be one of the directors I gave it to and just said, like, I honestly do not care what right. you make with this as long as you make something with this. Yeah, be, go be creative. Definitely. Him and Jeremy Sunier are probably the two where I'm just like, just keep making things, please. Yeah, Never agreed. stop making things. Uh, and people, please keep giving them money to make things, you know? Mm-hmm. Adam Wingard was kind of in that department, and I actually like the movies that he's made that other people don't like more than those people. Blair Witch is so good. Blair Witch and In a Valley of Violence, two of my favorite directors. So excited to see them. Somehow missed them entirely, and now they're like they're streaming, and I have still haven't seen them. So both great. Both I'm fixing that great. this week. <laughs> <laughs> good. I'm even not a defender of Death Note, but I have I've still never. I, I probably won't watch it. If you like Death Note, I wouldn't bother. <laughs> As a Death Note adaptation, not great. But right. it's like Wingard got the script. And he's like, well, I'm just going to make a Wingard movie with whatever they gave me. So I think I decided I'm only going to watch stuff of his when he's with Simon. When he's yes. with Simon Barrett. <laughs> read my mind. All I'm interested in at this point. So, yeah. So I'm good on Death Note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh People take anything from this podcast. Me not totally hating Death Note should be like way low on the list. <laughs> Go watch the Innkeepers, you know. Um, oh, AJ Bone. As soon as he showed up, I'm like, right. Of course, he's the creepy slime ball. Yeah, he's got to be. I, the first time I saw him was in your next, so he's always just like a like a mealy mouth, creepy slime ball dude who sucks. And he could be. It could be the exact same person. Like, <laughs> the exact same character, like, living across both movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, slight spoiler, but uh, it's very satisfying how his arc ends in both movies. <laughs> oh, yeah, completely agreed. <laughs> so I think that covers most of House of the Devil. 
So the ending, she shoots herself, really effective. It just works really well. But then we see her in the hospital room. And the nurse says, both of you. And I just, I, I just wonder what you think of that. Do you wish it had ended with the gunshot? Um, part of me does, but I, I, I don't, I don't know if I understand the gunshot. So I, what I, what, when I've put my interpretation into, into it, I, or maybe not even my, my interpretation, but when I start to kind of bounce around what's going on in those last three or four minutes, it's like, is she, was she driven, driven mad or something like that? Or is she seeing this as the only way out? And, and this is her, is, this is some irrational brain decision, you know, decision or, or, mm. um, or it was some of this, some figment of her imagination type of thing. And, and maybe the, she was not, she didn't really shoot herself in the head, but had some type of head injury that got her into, into, into the hospital as a result of all the, you know, I, I don't know. There's, probably a bunch of ways we can go but in, in the most straightforward way uh she saw this as her only way out and ended up living and that's a and that's the happy ending i guess if if there is such a thing um you know if, if taking it at face value then then I, yeah i mean i could definitely see it being that and and but like i said if my brain starts to wander a little bit and i i i'd have to really um i don't know philosophize over it i guess Philosophize, um over it, but uh, yeah, I don't know. What about you? I see. I don't know about like the final shot when she's in the hospital room. Anyway, like I don't hate it or anything. It feels very of the genre. Like it fits. I'm like, oh, you know that that's that is the classic horror movie ending where you know, oh, it's not over. But in terms of when she shoots herself, I kind of pick pick up on it as she has. Like, she spends the whole movie picking up on these little clues, piecing together what is happening, like, that something's not right, and that, you know, something terrible is happening here. And there are just enough clues that I feel like she's picking up on the fact that she is carrying a uh, demon spawn within her, and and she's picked up on just enough that that is what she's carrying, and that yeah. she can't do anything about it, and... And if she doesn't take care of it, then then it's going to continue and she's going to have to deal with whatever happens after. Yeah. <laughs> or, she's like, fuck you, know, you guys. You say, okay. you say I can't stop this. I'm going to stop this. I don't know. True, uh, true. That's kind of how I read it as. And I think it's, I'm glad the movie doesn't explain it more. I don't, I like having my own interpretation of it that I read from the rest of it. Um, yeah. I'm glad she doesn't like give a speech or something. That's another thing I really <laughs> like. There isn't, there yeah. isn't any speechifying in no, this about like intent or whatever even, there's there's really no dialogue especially in the last 15 minutes it's awesome yeah i love <laughs> it oh also these people kind of suck <laughs> at their job mm-hmm. they they're bad at hiding clues for what they're doing they it's they make it increasingly obvious what is up and also bad at tying knots just all around <laughs> they've done a terrible job doing yeah, like, all she really had to do was struggle a little bit and she got right out yeah and, like, she, I mean, I guess they got her what they wanted her anyways, just even though she was kind of figuring out that stuff was messed up, but. Yeah. She she has had a, a, a unique cross-section of, of naivete and super cunning. It was, I mean, maybe that's the horror movie-fication of her, but, uh, yeah, it, 
they I agreed they, they were not super proficient at what they were supposed to be doing. <laughs> but I mean, this is going to keep happening with House of the Devil. But one more shot I wanted to mention that is in line with how we talked about how much how much unspoken unshowy stuff is really good in this. Uh, the moment when the light light goes up, she turns on the light of the attic. Power goes out. We see it from the outside, and then it cuts to the inside where she just has her hand over her mouth. You know that she freaked out. You don't see that freak out, but you still see love, like the after effects. I'm so glad you brought that up. I, I love it because every time I watch this, I have to stop there and back it up a little bit because I'm like, did I did I blink and miss her reaction? Or is when the camera hits her, is she already giving a reaction? And, and that obviously that's what it is. And it, it, it really gives the movie a lived-in feel and that, that – the, there's not only things happening while the camera is pointed, you know, like there, like she had her reaction while the camera was outside for, for lack of better phrasing. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I agree. That's, that's such a rad shot. Oh, I, 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 I did that very thing. I backed it up and watched it again. Was, oh, it's just so good. There's so many good shots in this great editing. It's like sure. so familiar and so assured. Ah, oh, so we like this movie. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah two thumbs up and there's still two weeks left before uh, the end of the month so oh, get it in this should be on a halloween watch list every year it's just yeah. perfect it's only like 96 minutes you can fit it in Ugh, even when you know what's gonna happen it just has that weird it does every time i watch it i'm like oh yeah there's this part oh yeah there's this part like i and i, I think it's this particular part was because it's it's been in the recent zeitgeist but there's a, a whole a, a whole eclipse yeah. subplot that is yeah. really that's really interesting and, and you have you have the zealots that are like you know obviously like these the cult ritual people who are are going to sacrifice and, and impregnate people under the the night of the eclipse and then you have people like Greta Gerwig's character who are just shitting on it and making fun of the people that are going nuts for it or, or the people that are that are camping out at the the, the point where you can see it the best like like people did all over the country this year so um yeah, I, that was a really, it was fun to watch that in light of what has happened this year in terms of eclipses. Yeah, I wish I had remembered the eclipse thing because yeah. <laughs> I probably would have watched it around then. Or like, yeah, oh, probably oh. would have, uh, yeah, got a few screenshots up on Twitter that were relevant to that time frame. Somewhere in the USA today, a murder ritual sacrifice is happening. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> but with that, we shall move on to the changeling. Within this old house live two residents. One of them is John Russell, composer, professor. The other has been dead for over 70 years. Claire, I'd like to talk to you about the house. How did you die? What do you want from me? Many films will frighten you, but only a few can really terrify you. The Changeling, an experience beyond total fear. So we picked these two movies, one because they're on my list, but they also feature the the house and House of the Devil. Is it technically haunted? But it's haunted. It ha- it's haunted by Satanists, you know. But 
there's some spooky ass shit going on in there, <laughs> even if it's even houses. if it's not the house itself. Yeah, right. And there, like that, there was obviously that parallel. But there are a bunch of other parallels I found too, or maybe not a bunch, maybe not a lot of parallels, but there were just enough that I found a lot of satisfaction in watching these two together, even though the thing that drives them is very different. So The Changeling, uh, 1980, directed by Peter Medak, who is still working, it turns out. He's directed, he directed episodes of Breaking Bad and Hannibal, which I thought was awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah. I had no idea. That's, that is rad. Starring George C. Scott. And it, I, it my very first note, George C. Scott and his face. He's uh, got, <laughs> got one of those faces that just yeah. makes a movie better. Very lived-in face, you know. Uh, and this is old George E. Scott too, so he he's he's hardened. He his hair has grown out a little bit. His with nose very is, young romantic. His nose is, uh, well, yeah, that's true. And she she, she was great though. The, yeah, the uh, realtor lady. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he just he looks like the George C. Scott that you know, but just like an older version. So you know, mm-hmm. gravity has done what it it has done with his face, and, and like I said, his hair is longer and grayer, and his his voice is a little more hardened, but. He's playing an artist, so he, he he's kind of towing this line of of older statesman and scholar and uh, musician, and you know father, husband grieving. So it's it's a really nuanced performance, I think, and I think he does a really great job. He's he's not afraid, and and he wants he he needs closure for himself just as much as uh, as what's happening in the story. So um, yeah, it's it's great. I don't know if you want to. Just go briefly over what the movie's about, since, like you said, it's pretty obscure and, or maybe obscure is the wrong word, but it's it's less seen and harder to see. That's what I was going to start with, actually. Okay, is, cool. Maybe you can help me with this, but um, it'll pop up every now and then as a recommendation or on a horror list about this classic horror movie that's actually really good. Other than the occasional reference, I just never had heard about it and continue to never really hear about it except for maybe once or twice a year like mentioned on a podcast i'm like right that is so good i'm glad they mentioned that yeah uh, where where my first exposure to it was from an old forum that i used to go on to there was a a member there that every year would come up you like changing is the scariest movie ever it's the best it's the scariest movie like it's awesome so you know probably eight ten years ago i saw it for the first time and then um it's you know been a been a perennial watch for me from there. So I, I, I definitely understand it being, um, less seen. Uh, but in terms of why I'm not really sure. Cause I, I think it has a lot of things that a lot of people, uh, would really like. And, and I think a lot of the movies being made now, like your, your, um, insidiouses and your conjurings, I think they owe a great deal to this. Um, it, it not necessarily, because of the way they treat haunted houses, but um, just some of the practical effects and some of the uh, some of the plot points, I guess, or some of the some of the beats that get hit throughout there, I think you see that in a lot of older stuff and a lot of, uh, um, or I mean, you see it in a lot of the newer stuff, uh, but it's present here, you know, thirty some years ago. And a lot of these old horror movies that either weren't appreciated at the time or have been forgotten since are getting these renaissances. Like even there's been so much talk of the or there had been so much talk of The Exorcist 3 in lieu of a, right, like, you know, right. the director's cut and it's streaming on Shudder and stuff. And Like, I didn't know The Exorcist 3 was good until that. And The Changeling seems like something that would be ripe for that kind of resurrection just because it is really good and it is very reminiscent of the time it was made. But I, I wonder if it's just, if there's just a 
really messed up rights issue that you can only I mean maybe there is there a do you know if there's a Blu-ray available somewhere or not? I, I don't know. I don't think so though. I meant to look that I I think it's just like DVD and YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The movie is in full on YouTube. I I downloaded a copy and, and it it was in HD, some type of HD. Okay. But it looked like shit, so it <laughs> it, it definitely wasn't uh, some impeccable transfer. So I, I don't know if somebody was able to, you know, pull it down from from some or maybe in Canada since it's Canadian there's something yeah. some we I, I I really I don't know. Um but uh you know kind of emblematic of what you were just speaking about is I, I don't know if it was this year or last year, but there's a 24-hour horror marathon in Columbus every year, and it, it's it's been featured there at least at least once. I think maybe even more than once. Um, so I, I think it with those types of crowds, I think it's it, it'll continue to be kind of buzzy and word of mouth and, and and you know I'm not sure what it's following is like on something like Letterbox or something, but um, you know I, I I hope it continues and I hope maybe it does have a, a bigger life at some point. Like you know I don't know if in 2020 if it's they'll have some weird 40 year anniversary something or you know you never know what's going to happen but um true uh yeah i it's 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 unique and it's scary and it's great it just seems ripe for something that would really benefit from like a great blu-ray transfer you know from a screen factory or what have you because like i mean it, it's a great movie like a, cl- a classic haunted house movie it has great music and I want to see a version of it that looks good because it should. It, it, I just watching it, I'm like, oh, I feel <laughs> like I don't think is this is like the person directing or whatever. I feel like this is just the crappy transfer that I'm watching. I feel like it should look so much better. If it would look so good if we got a better version of it. But yeah, yep. so the Changeling, 1980, Peter Medak, George C. Scott. Uh, it's about a uh, an old an old man who is recently widowed. Uh, this isn't really a spoiler, but the movie opens just by uh, icing his wife and kid. Just fucking smashes them with a semi truck on an icy road. Uh, it's, it's horrifying. Yeah, it's <laughs> how many like most movies don't even kill off kids. This one starts semi truck smashing a wife and child, having a fun snowball fight. He's he's bummed out, you know. I can't remember exactly what like if he's going back to somewhere he was, but basically he moves into this haunt, into this uh giant house with a somewhat questionable history to teach music at a local college and it seems like he's some kind of cult figure in university music composing because his classroom is totally full but it's all he's a composer it's his alma mater if if i if i think if i remember that sounds right so he yeah i don't know like you said he has some type of cult like following or if if people are like you know the the this famous person has moved back. Maybe he's he like the in... type they'll name a wing after. Or right. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's some type of benefactor, but now he's in the flesh. So people are really appreciating his presence. So he's, he's performing in the orchestra and he, he's, he's whining and dining and he, he pretty much instantly becomes kind of uh, entrenched in the local community, which, uh, you know, then you, you, you're only kind of rooting for him more because he's, he is in the, he's isolated in this big house, but, there are a lot of people around him that are, are also being affected by what's going on. So um, that, that's one thing I like about it too, is that it's uh, contrary to the house of the devil. It, once you're getting to the house, you're not just staying there. It, you're, you're, you're in and in and out and you're, you're, you're talking to lots of different people. So um, 
and, and that is, that's one way that it's different. And I guess that's basically the setup. And then weird stuff starts happening in the house. What we start to discover is that there's been a child, a, a different child who was murdered in that house. And it's reaching out for to him not to, not in the vein of most hauntings to, you know, punish him or, you know, take out his anger at being dead on the living. But he's just reaching out for help. And that's one of my favorite parts of this movie is that, and I may have already said it, but um, it, it, it's it's scary, but it's not aggressive. It, it, it's weird how they're able to be so effective with that. You know, because typically what, what's relatable about the people that are running away from a ghost in a horror movie are, hey, that's what I would be doing if I was being, t- if you know, there was a ghost around me, would be running away scared. But he has this inquisitive nature that wherever he hears a sound, he goes to it. Or where, yeah. wherever he thinks something's happening, he checks it out. And I, that's the least relatable thing possible because <laughs> I would never be caught dead doing any of the things that he, he explores or looks after. But it just adds to the endearing nature of his, of his character. And it, it, it provides so much more to his arc that he, that he, he wants the house to be as uh, at peace as, as possible because he knows that that's, what's going to lead to his peace as well. Like if, if he can kind of piece together what happened in there, then maybe he can, he can finish his, finish his composure or his, uh, composition, composition, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he already has great composure. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, <laughs> that's the reason why I brought that word up because I wanted to mention that he is a very composed man. Um, his he he finishes composition and and you know kind of move on with his life, I guess. So that's one major part of why I love this movie so much is is the kind of just nice but very sad and and disturbing. He's like a nice guy who's child. really yeah. sad. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, like, even though this movie, in describing it, sounds a lot more grim than it actually is for a movie that starts with a child being smushed uh, and right. is about the murder of another child, uh, it's because you have this very dependable, composed figure at the center of it who is just trying to, well, he's trying to keep himself busy so he doesn't, like, totally uh, lose it, but also is just trying to find justice for this kid once he puts the pieces together. Really, if Samantha from House of the Devil had lived to a ripe old age, I feel like she'd have a changeling in her future. Because they're both, <laughs> like, inquisitive. They want to find out what these weird noises in the house are. And, you know, they're, they're both have a lot of curiosity. Unfortunately, she was punished for hers, whereas he's not, I wouldn't say rewarded for his, but he is able to explore it and use it to help this, you know, poor ghoul that is living in this giant house. And what a giant house it is. Yeah, it's huge. That seems like the worst place for a recent widower who lost a child to live. A giant, his, empty house? His reasoning is like, oh, I just want to play the piano whenever I want. It's like, <laughs> you, you can just get like a nice little plot of land with a small house on it. Like, you don't have to have like the White House of, of Victorian man, like manners in suburban Seattle. It's like the choice um, is an apartment or giant haunted mansion. Right. I feel like there's something in between. I'm just oh. thinking about this now, though, but what a good investment. 1980 in suburban <laughs> Seattle, a house that big. Yeah. Man, I bet that, that's probably $10 million at this point. I wonder – well, they said they revoked Bill Gates it. is living in that house, right? <laughs> Except, like, well, you know, after the fire – the land. Oh, it burned down. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> well, the land. Never mind. You still got that yeah. land. 
Oh my god! And so that's what like so this movie is oddly in a in a much different way than House of the Devil. It's heartwarming while still being full of dread and terrifying in parts. Um, I'm still just like ha- I still have a great time watching it, even as I'm like, oh my god, what is happening? Mm-hmm. But the first, I think the first time I watched this, I wasn't really in the right space. It was like years ago. And I guess wasn't in the right space to appreciate it, I don't think. Because the second time I came back and I was like, not like a basic, it kind of blew my mind that I had all this stuff I hadn't noticed in the first part. Besides having that same uh, effect, like now I will start continue overusing this word, but that same crescendo of suspense where it just builds and builds in a nice, like, even line. Besides having that, it has certain really effective effects moments like 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 uh, practical effects moments absolutely between um there's a moment in a well and it must be like a reverse shot or something where the locket comes out of the dirt oh it looks so cool it like i don't it's so simple but i was just like uh, and every time i see it it's it, it's it's rad it just looks cool it's one of those times uh, where yeah. knowing how it's done makes you appreciate it more because it i don't know it just looks good yeah, like you. What I was thinking was like, all right, there's somebody on the other side of that hole that's pulling the locket through, yeah. and then they just played it backwards. But that's the, like the mad, the, ma- the magic of movie making. It, it always gets to me. Like I just love that stuff. It's so tactile. It's, there's it's it's awesome. Yeah. There's something about it that's just really satisfying. That you know, there's <laughs> just like a guy sitting below a glass case of dirt or something. <laughs> right. No. Exactly. It's it's great. Um. I don't. I, they don't explain why. I don't think like why the house catches on fire. Other than it's just like this specter is like imploding and and it's just throwing everything it's got at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really love like the fire snaking all the way up from the top down the banister, like as yeah. the house starts catching on fire, and then like again at the end, like uh, as um. Carmichael, the, the politician, is walking up the stairs, and then as soon as he gets to the top of the steps, the stairs just, like, collapse. Uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff like that in here. And, and speaking of that, it's something I had in my notes. Uh, we mentioned this is Canadian, but it, it, to, to me, having a politician be at the center of, of the evil doings uh, felt very kind of of that era. This was shot in, like, 78, 79, and then came out in 1980, so uh, it had me thinking of some of the some of the paranoia thrillers of, of the 70s, um, uh, like Parallax View or uh, All the President's Men, th- those kind of like uh, mm-hmm. just... Especially uh, when he runs out to the plane. It feels like yeah, a right. scene from a yeah. different movie yeah. almost. It, it definitely does. Like a um, journalist so... sprinting out to like, Mr. President, Mr. President. Right, right. So I, I, I like that it has touches of that because that's some of my favorite films are, are like, you know, American seventies, like, you know, new cinema type stuff. So, um, I, I like that touch and like, yeah, politicians are evil. So it's, it's, it's always good to see anybody in that lineage get their type of come up and, you know? Yeah. I, I will say, and I guess, um, I'll leave with, uh, so what happens is he discovers this child has been murdered by the father because, the only way the father was going to inherit uh, his his own father's wealth was if his child lived to 21. Is that right? Something like that, yeah. Basically, yeah. He, had, he had to get rid of the uh, the child that he was considering child. a burden. Right, yeah. This, this kid that had to be in a wheelchair. That uh, So 
he drowned him and mm-hmm. then had basically had another had an orphan flown in dropped on his doorstep to to take the mantle as the new he was cured uh, right he can oh, walk it's magic. Now. he can walk now he, 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 he was cured of being drowned <laughs> and that child becomes the senator who George C. Scott confronts in the movie, which I think puts a, a weird twist on it because that specific sen- – like the ki- the senator was adopted when he was a kid, like six years old, to take the place of the child. So it's not even totally his fault that this evil has been perpetrated, but he's still like the figurehead, the result, the end, whatever, of well, this the way evil. That, definitely. And the way that he talks about it and, and the way that he behaves around George C. Scott's character – uh, John, I don't know why I keep saying George. He's got John. Um, I forgot his name he, too. <laughs> John, it's John. <laughs> um, the way he behaves around him, to me, it tells it tells me that he has known this for some time. Yes, he he just hasn't confronted it, and he 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 can. And obviously, you know, based on the end of the movie, he eventually does. But I I think as the as the climax is is is, is sort of unraveling, um, you see him realize it more and more and i think you even see on his face like i should have dealt with this a long time ago and i've just mm-hmm. been avoiding it and, and, and then you know and by the by the end it it, it results in in the, house, the entire house going up in flames so it's uh it, i i definitely had that kind of conflicting feeling at first of like well you know he, he was just kind of the unfortunate on the unfortunate end of it, like wrong place, wrong time, almost of, of being, he was six years old. He was a kid. What is he supposed to do? (laughs) Right. But then, you know, he appeared to be in, you know, what I would guess to be his sixties or or probably even seventies. So, um, you have plenty of time to reconcile with your past and do the right thing. Especially if you, if you knew, you know, how dirty that money was, but you know, again, that's maybe that's another comment on, you know, what people are willing to do to go to the top. Like he, he knew that any type of addressing of, of any of that past would ruin his chances at whatever he wanted to do career wise. So that that's um, obviously why he didn't do it until it was right in his face and it was affecting the entire town to a degree. That's why I wonder if it's not even necessarily about the evil of man, this movie, but like the weakness. Sure. Because they take the easy way out every time. They, mm-hmm. like, or, I guess, or the greedy like, way. Yeah. yeah. The father is clearly evil and greedy. But like the son, he is not evil in the same way. But he still did whatever was best for him. And um, even when he was old enough to know better, still just forgot, pretended the kid never existed. And right. uh, let him be forgotten in a way. Or erased. And, 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 replaced. And, and try to suppress and, and, and relinquish responsibility, which... You know, is probably the natural reaction, but yeah, uh, he Im- immediately it, 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 calls up the police chief to like go harass the guy. <laughs> right. That 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 is that's definitely uh, yeah, that that but is a very too, a little too prescient, I guess. Almost, <laughs> uh, like it, it was, and you know, and then ultimately it's the too the real police, man. The police. I want to get back to the haunting stuff. Mind. I feel better. <laughs> uh, for sure. For sure. Go ahead if you had something. I was just going to mention while we're kind of talking about these the other performances that the medium, how great was she? Mm. Oh my god! So we see. So there's a seance early on, where you know he's trying to before he knows what's up with the kid, where he's communicating with the kid, and the medium. The so we see so many different kinds of mediums in movies who have all kinds of different gadgets. Like Insidious has one, you know. 
And uh, this one, she's scribbling on a piece of paper. And when the when the ghost speaks, she writes out the word and like says it out loud. And I don't know. It's it's like another tactile thing almost, but yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's it's the most effective seance scene I think. In Something movie. about the scrawling of this blunt pencil. And, and um, the way that she's doing it, with the speed that she's doing it, and, yeah. and the way that she's just like droning out the out the words. Um, and when she writes the words, it's like just you can almost not even read them because it's another like they're scrawled in a barely legible fashion. It, it's unlike I, I I really think it's unlike any scene like it in movies, and I think it's the most effective version of any of them. Um, I I can't say enough good things about her performance. I. I think it's one of the best performances of any horror movie ever. I really do. Like she, that I, I don't even know the actress's name and, and she's only, yeah, she's in it for less than five minutes probably, but it is like, it, it's disturbing. It is. And, and they're recording the whole thing. And when he listens back to it, um, the, the, just the, the way that they capture the voices um, and the way that the voices kind of repeat the same things and the way they repeat them. Um, yeah. This movie just does it for me. I love it. This almost goes back to why I could have a renaissance because it has these um sorry I took a bite of pancake. <laughs> <laughs> it has both these scenes and certain iconography that could age really well the mm-hmm. way we remember certain other scenes. The like well the ball or the wheelchair coming down oh, the stairs. So great. The ball is awesome. I love that ball scene where it, I mean it's it, it we've seen it a billion times in movies. I mean uh, <laughs> I don't know why my brain just went here, but Jim carries the mask is <laughs> <laughs> it happens. But you know, uh, this the ball that a ball that he used to play with with his daughter when she was alive comes bouncing down the stairs. Uh, you know, he says, "How could you know? How could this be?" Drives drives in his car to the nearest bridge and throws it off the bridge, which is like uh, that's one of my favorite things in movies is just people chucking things off bridges because I, I I've never done that I don't think I don't I don't you can't know throw might. it away you have to like <laughs> send it far away from you <laughs> right and then you know as soon as he walks in the house then the ball comes right back bouncing down and it, this like it's so it's so well done like it's it's great and then there's the well the wheelchair coming down the stairs is really good before the house goes up. The scene. So, so the police chief. Can I ask you something about that? Did you do you see that as, as the wheelchair like escaping the house, or do you see that as chasing the woman? Like, because uh, the way it's shot, obviously she's running from it, mm-hmm. but all it really seems like it's trying to do is get to the front door, just like she is. I don't know. I don't know if you notice that. No, that like he like the wheelchair is like the physical. The physical remnant of him, and he doesn't right. want to be consumed. I hadn't thought of that. I thought maybe it was chasing her out of the house because it was going to be consumed. Uh, maybe that too. Like either either it was mad at her like or it was trying to save her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because well, the, I, the kid does throw though. fits sometimes, he gets temperamental because mm-hmm. he's a ghost child. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Even ghost children. Get a little <laughs> so I mean, I mean, he's dead, so he has maybe a certain amount of perspective, but he still only lived so many years. Uh, right. Oh, the iconography, right. And then um, it's like there the the ball, the wheelchair. Um I think one of the other most effective memorable scenes is when the after the police chief comes and tries to do his shady business, he goes to leave basically to get a search warrant and just immediately caught like one car crash, <laughs> he's dead, the car is on its roof, and it is it manifests in the house as this mirror exploding into George C. Scott cross cut against each other and it's I don't know, really 
like every every time I see it, I'm like, it's a five percent silly, but like ninety five percent horrifying. It's great. Uh, and then when like when they're on the phone, he's like, "There's no cars around him. He couldn't. He doesn't look like anything was able to happen." And I don't know. It just it it adds the, to the old horror movie aspect of it, and it adds to the like, what happened? Like uh, this house was mad at something and then all of a sudden now it's flipping over the police chief's car for no reason and it's got it you know is yeah and i know what you mean <laughs> the mirror has like this round head-shaped hole in it which is mm. probably just there so they can shoot so you can see his face when they shoot the the car scene right. like it's probably a practical thing but every time i watch i'm like what did something come through the window at him? Like, I <laughs> know, it like, it's like, probably yeah. there for practical reasons, but I still try to make it work in the movie. And I'm like, what, what came at him? What, what? <laughs> I don't know. And yeah, just no, the fact exactly. that it happens immediately, too. He leaves the house and dies. Yeah, two minutes later, it's like, <laughs> it's dead. Like, I always think of this, like, oh, this is like a, you know, a slow moving, uh, takes its time haunted house movie, except for those moments when it literally explodes. Yeah, and I think it does a good job, just like I talked about with House of the Devil, of kind of spreading out the tension and spreading and kind of getting you little relief valves at times. Another similarity between the two that I that I had a note on was just the work of shadows. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's big for horror in general, but I think both of these, uh, they, there's a lot of really lighting from outside of a dark house inside. Um, which casts a bunch of shadows onto different walls and, and good use of mirrors and stuff like that. So, um, you know, that's all stuff that you have to have with horror, but I think these are two really kind of uh, stellar examples of that, especially when it comes to, to shooting inside of a, a house. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's why they, these two make a really good pairing because of their effective use of houses, a lot of good tactile work, and... Uh, thing I thought I was transitioning to way like at the beginning of the conversation, but I don't know that I got to. <laughs> the fact that he's a composer helps to insert a lot of music into mm-hmm. the movie, and it has a lot more to the score than House of the Devil does. But it's really good. Um, like the piano, it could be like mysterious and creepy. It's very mournful during like the the opening sequence. Uh, during the credits after the wife and child have been killed, there's just like this really beautiful, mournful piano being played it's just mm. tremendous music throughout the movie and um again took me like two or three watches to really fully appreciate it but uh, those are my favorite horror movies are the ones that only get better every time you watch them mm-hmm. and these are two definite examples where i just appreciate more and more for sure no i completely agree and i really all the stuff that that we've watched for this for this podcast i think it's all been horror <laughs> um and and they all have are that exact same way with me. Like uh, Alien is, of course, just like the more you watch it, the more you see and the more you love. And, and it's that is, I guess, another Haunted House movie, as yeah. people people call it to an you know, annoying degree. I hear days. it's like, a Haunted no, House in space. <laughs> I hate that that's like an over, overdone thing now because it is that is exactly what it is. But, um, <laughs> uh, and then I think the thing we talked about, but that maybe is one of the ones that got lost. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We talked about the thing. And, and again, that's kind of like a, you know, the, not the house isn't haunted, but it's still like a, a one location, like claustrophobia mm-hmm. type of situation. And, and all of these uh, build with, or, you know, play with tension in, in such great ways. And, and they all just get better and better every time you watch them. Oh, we talked about Rashomon too, which is a thriller and suspenseful in its own way, but it's not horror. I forgot about that. 
That was in the early days of the podcast. That was, yeah. The 250 days. <laughs> <laughs> Back when we were actually doing the IMDb 250. Yep. <laughs> One day, well, again, maybe. House uh, of the Devil would be on my 250. So. Oh, absolutely. Um, actually, both of these probably would be. 250 is a lot of movies. It, it is. When you try to make your own 250, you find there are so many. I would never try that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I have a tough enough time coming up with 10, 10 things at the end of the year to make a list with. Oh, not that absolutely. there's not 10 things that I love. I'm just not a list maker. I'm really not. Like, I love hundreds of things. So that's why I'm not good at making a, a small list, you know? Mm-hmm. I was to say, you mentioned about houses and how much you like houses and stuff. And I was going to transition into, uh, yeah, that I also feel very strongly about house horror movies, whether they be beset by intruders, filled with killers, or haunted by specters, which is why an entire section of every streaming horror guide we have at LTRFI.com is, fuck this house, a list of horror <laughs> movies that fit that bill on each associated streaming service. But, that was a great transition and nice plug. Well, I feel I felt like we had wrapped up, you know. Uh, yeah, I think we can move on to the plug it. section. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard enough podcasts. Uh, but, I mean, did you have any final points on House of the Devil and the Changeling? I feel like we summed up why both are we, we both are movies we love that are excellent examples of suspense and tactile uh, effects and music and, you know, all of our favorite things, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said it. it it's These are... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad these two were on your list because they're ones I watch all the time and I like talking about and that I always want other people to, to see and, and so more people can talk about it. So, um, you know, if you want to talk about it, let's talk about it. <laughs> Continue the conversation online, right? And, you know, maybe if enough people get talking about the changeling, we can get a nice new remaster and remaster. Yeah, everybody tweet at Scream Factory and say... Buy the rights to to the Changeling so we can get a good print. They can't be that cool expensive. Copyright. They're probably just like <laughs> hidden in a cabinet up in Canada somewhere. Right. Yeah. Like nobody knows who they're the name they're actually in. They're just filed away. Somebody get David Cronenberg on the horn. Ah, oh, yes, the paragon of Canadian horror. Right. Exactly. Uh, if he can't get it done. Oh man. So at some point during the podcast, I looked up Jeremy Sunier's next project, and it's a thriller written by Macon Blair and starring. Alexander Skarsgård and Riley Keogh and Jeffrey Wright, and I just got very excited. Whoa. <laughs> and it's awesome. in post-production. I actually want to see Macon Blair's new one more than I want to see <sighs> Sonia's new one. Dude. I don't know if he's making another one, but I just really loved uh, I Don't, I don't Want to Be <laughs> at Home Alone in This World Anymore, whatever it is. <laughs> the, the Netflix movie that Macon Blair did, it's so good. So good. Uh, he has IMDb has something called The Shitheads, listed there <laughs> okay. with right. Luke Wilson, Tracy Morgan. What? He's directing it? Good for him. <laughs> wow. that's I did not expect you to say that, but if he's, you know, getting a little paycheck, that's pretty cool. <laughs> but I thought um I thought I read somewhere that part of the reason that Jeremy Sunier, like part of his mission in making movies is also to make Megan Blair you know, a bigger name. Well, yeah, because they're best friends. Yeah. I mean, they and they grew up making movies together. So, and I just love that friendship so much. It warps oh, my heart because they're both incredible. Yeah, Tra- Tracy Morgan and Luke Wilson to star in Imperatives and Macon Blair's The Shitheads. I will definitely watch that. <laughs> I like Tracy Morgan a lot. <laughs> Owen Wilson, it's Owen Wilson, but Macon Blair's great. 
Wow. Described as the last detail by way of Brett Easton Ellis. A dark comedy oh. that tells the story of a, pair of a pair of deeply unqualified bozos who've been hired to transport a troubled teenage millionaire to rehab. Wow. This is going to be interesting. <laughs> but, you know, his, his debut had a lot of that really sadistic dark humor. Um, so I didn't even know who to compare it to. No, me. I have no idea what to compare it to. It's like a Jeremy Saulnier movie, but funny. That's yeah. like the only only real way to describe it. Someone on a podcast, I wish I could credit it, I think described it as like Coen Brothers-esque, but like darker. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I like that. That's like the closest I could come up with. It's just so I think a little, more, a little more visceral, a little less yeah. like lived-in feeling. Like, it, like he, it like he made like movies natural. with Jeremy Saulnier for his entire life. <laughs> right, yeah, for the last 15 years or whatever. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And alas, we will have to talk Jeremy Sunye in another podcast, which we should because he's like my favorite, one of my favorite working directors right now, easily. Uh, but Sean, thanks for coming on. I think we did it. We talked about two movies and how we much we love them in a somewhat comprehensible manner, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I think we wrote the book. <laughs> let's, let's, nobody can ever talk about him again. <laughs> There, there is no more definitive source for anything that happened with these movies. I realize that's indirect. Uh, it's direct, the opposite of what I said five minutes ago about continuing the conversation. Um, so, you know, you can either talk to me about these movies or not talk to me. I'm, I'm leaving the door wide open for either way. So. Those are the only two options, to do that or not do that? That's tough, man. Well, I mean, I suppose not doing it. What if they, like, subtweeted you about it? Oh, that's fine. I don't look at Twitter much anymore these days anyway, so it'll probably have to be a subtweet. Or you'll have to like tweet it and then send me a DM to it, and then I'll see that DM in two weeks. But uh, either way, uh, yeah, let's talk about it. I'm I'm, I'm siding on that. Let's talk about it. My Twitter is at Colossal Bandit, and uh, what's the the Let the Right Films In one? Uh, Let the Right Films In is LTRFI pod. Great. So yeah, it's like ltrfi.com where you can find all of our associated episodes and stuff. Like rate and review us on all of your favorite services. Share mm-hmm. it with your friends. Most mm-hmm. importantly, watch these movies because these are great. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and have a safe October. Um, and uh, don't yeah. forget to check your candy. <laughs> I haven't watched Trick or Treat yet. And I haven't there. either, but my uh, my perennial Trick or Treat watch uh, is typically with this. Uh, this guy called uh, Fritz the Night Owl. He was a local TV host. Like he, he would do like the Elvira. He was like the Elvira of Columbus, Ohio. Okay. I guess would be a good way to put it. He presented scary movies in the uh, I think in the seventies and eighties. But he, in the last like ten years or so, he's also done like a, a revitalized version of it once a month at a local theater. And so the month, the movie of the month every October, and they're always like cult classics, but the movie of the month for October is always Trick or Treat. Um, and he even does it like where he'll like cut himself into a part of the movie, like a, like like a, a lot of those old like chiller theater hosts used to do. Yep. Um, it's so it's so much fun. I'll have to send you a, I'll have to send you a link if I if I remember. But uh, yeah, it's great. So that that's when I'm gonna be watching that. But I can't wait because yeah, Trick or Treat's another that's, absolute classic. That's especially fun because I watched this movie Applesauce, which I was mixed on. But Dylan Baker plays like a shock jock radio DJ, and so now I'm just picturing him presenting his <laughs> own movie, but also cutting also cutting himself into the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. That'd be great. All right, Sean, but thanks for joining me today. Look forward to having you on the podcast both next October, but also before next October. 
Uh, yeah, let's do it before next October. Before, <laughs> I think I, I think I have a little bit of time between now and then. <laughs> and while the IMDb is not great with horror, there are enough things. And also, I think we've made it clear enough that we're willing to cheat on the IMDb plenty to talk more about horror movies. So definitely. All right. Well, thanks, Tyler. I'll talk to you later. Really? That would be incredible.